Welcome to the Same Side Selling Podcast, dedicated to modern sales and marketing, innovation, and leadership. Here's your host, Ian Altman. Hey, it's Ian Altman. I'm joined this week by Bill Cates to discuss his latest book, Radical Relevance. Bill started and sold two companies before turning his attention to help other businesses grow. He's written four best-selling books, Get More Referrals Now, Don't Keep Me a Secret, Beyond Referrals, and now Radical Relevance. He's my go-to person when people want to improve how they handle referrals. Bill has delivered his business growth message to over a half a million professionals across five continents, and he's a member of the Professional Speaker Hall of Fame. We're going to discuss the neuroscience of relevancy, why you should only focus on three personas in your marketing, how features and benefits don't make a compelling value proposition, why name dropping can be risky, and how to make your introduction memorable and shareable. You're going to learn a ton from Bill Cates. Bill Cates, welcome back to the Same Side Selling Podcast. Ian Allman, great to be back with you, bud. You know what? I always enjoy talking to you, and I always learn way more than I'm sure you learn from me, and so I'm the fortunate one here. Can you start by sharing something surprising about you that our audience may not know? Wow, surprising about me. Well, I toured the country as a drummer in a rock and roll band uh, when I was much younger. Um, Had a great time, uh, a ton of fun, and then I did an assessment on my talent. And I thought, you know, I'll be playing Holiday Inns probably the rest of my life. And I didn't want to do that. And you uh, couldn't have possibly foreseen the level <laughs> of renovation that the Holiday Inns would undergo to know that it would actually work out to be a good thing. <laughs> actually, I was delivering a workshop in Fargo, North Dakota uh, yep. a couple weeks ago. So in the winter. And At the Holiday Inn Express. It was a well. It was a Holiday Inn. It was yep. a nicer Holiday Inn. They had a conference center and all. But you know, I told the story about how I toured the country as a drummer in a rock and roll band. I was going to play Holiday Inns rest of my life. And guess where am I right now? Playing a Holiday Inn. <laughs> <laughs> of course, a little more dignified, fees a little better, and 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 uh, and all that. And I have to didn't have to set up my drums to make. But uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and you know what? And it's a whole lot easier to travel to speak than it is bringing your kit. Because oh, yeah. I, I, you know, I grew up as a drummer. Also, there's a lot of us as speakers who grew up as drummers, which tells oh, me yeah. that the that the drumming profession may have just very few people who actually can cut it and succeed. And maybe that's <laughs> it. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know if that's the real answer. So well, um, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so so let's 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 talk about your latest book, Radical Relevance. Yes, sir. And the subtitle is Sharpen Your Marketing Message, Cut Through the Noise, Win More Ideal Clients. So you've written, depending on how you count them, four or five books. Why mm-hmm. this one? Well, I, I think the main reason I, I wrote it is because and, and look at the subtitle, it kind of says it all. Sharpen your marketing message, cut through the noise. Uh, it's a noisy world out there when it comes to sales and marketing. And uh, it's, it's hard to distinguish yourself. It's hard to get in front of people. Uh, it's just gotten harder and harder. And, you know, the internet's kind of a, a double-edged sword, right? It's, I mean, it's easy to create content and broadcast messages and ads and try to do it that way. But on the other hand, everybody's doing that. So it's noisy. So first of all, 
you know, I've been focusing on referrals and personal introductions for 25 years, and that's a big part of what I, how I help my clients. Uh, and the, the way to, to be relevant in someone else's life, someone who doesn't know you and trust you yet, is an introduction from someone else they already trust. So yep. the straightest line to relevance is that introduction. So I, I, that's always important. And with that, you get that borrowed trust. And you borrow the trust in, in that relationship long enough to earn your own trust in a new relationship. But at some point, you got to do more than just work off the borrowed trust. You have to talk about your value uh, sure. in a way that's, that's, that's relevant, that's compelling. Uh, and most people don't do a very good job in how they talk about their value and say they miss a ton of opportunity. Sure. And, and Bill, what I love is at the end of each chapter, and even sectionally, you have action steps so that people can put things to work. I know that in same side selling, it's something that people comment also that, wow, I can actually put this to work. Right. Early on in the book, you talk about, you mentioned that just some people aren't yet referable. They haven't mm. done the work to make themselves referable. What do you mean? Yeah. I mean, when I first got started, uh, that most companies hired me to teach their folks how to ask referrals, uh, you know, a, without looking like an overaggressive life insurance agent. And I work with life insurance agents and I tell them the old methodologies uh, polluted the waters for the rest of us. So, uh, but then I realized that a lot of these folks weren't as referable as they needed to be. So they weren't having the success. So what does it take to be referable? Well, the studies that I've seen and been part of is that there's actually a low correlation between client or customer satisfaction and, and someone giving referrals, making introductions uh, in the one study uh, from Julie Littlechild, only about 20% of satisfied clients gave referrals. So what we need to create is engaged clients. Now, uh, most people are doing this, but maybe not to the level they could be. So an engaged client is someone who feels good about your value, right? They're connected with your value. They like the questions you ask. They like the things you teach. They like your responsive service. They like your genuine caringness and all that. Uh, and, then, and then there's that, which then goes to the human connection. And they feel good about you. They like you, trust you. You don't have to be best friends, but they got to like you, trust you, right? And we know that all things being equal, people do business with people they like. All things not being equal, people do business with people they like. So connecting on both levels in the prospect experience, in that courtship of getting to know people, in the onboarding process, how you onboard them into your company, into your firm, and then how you stay in touch with them over time, that client service or customer service promise. And so at all three junction, all three parts of the relationship, we want to make sure we're maintaining the connection with value and maintaining the connection, you know, with the people, with the, with the yep. humans involved. And, and that's what it takes to be referable. Got it. And, and you, you talk about in the book and, and I, and I had no idea you were a neuroscientist. And I well, said jokingly because because yeah. <laughs> because Bill talks about neuroscience of relevance, and in the book you say, "Look, and I'm no neuroscientist, <laughs> right but you, so so it's a little tongue in cheek here." But talk to me a little bit about the neuroscience behind relevance and what's going yes. on in people's brains yes. that kind of gets triggered when we do have the right message about relevance. Yeah, so a uh, couple of things on that. Um, and by the way, I did have everything I wrote was vetted by three neuroscientists. I want to make sure it was accurate. Uh, so a couple, I mean, there's a lot in there, but a couple of things and how it can help us with better messaging uh, from a marketing standpoint, as well as a sales standpoint. Uh, we know that the brain is scanning in the environment six times a second. Am I safe? 
Yeah, where am I? Am I safe? Where am I? Am I safe? And we also know the brain is scanning three times a second. Is there an opportunity? So the, the brain is built to take action, but only when it feels safe. All right. So how does that apply to us? Well, we know that, that um, if we just talk about the opportunity that we present, if we're just talking about what they, you know, what they can achieve with the solutions we bring, we may not be hitting the right place and we may not be resonating with them in the way we need to first. The first place is to display empathy for their, their challenges, for the problems, for the, whatever word you want to put to it, the pain, yep. right? And uh, one of the biggest principles in marketing really is empathy. They, when people come to our website, when we reach out with an email or send a packet of info, whatever, they need to get a sense. These folks know me. They have a sense of who I am and what I'm up against. Uh, and, and so we, we really generally want to lead with that. And then we can bring to the opportunity. They're willing to listen to the solution, to the pain, to the challenge, uh, but only once we demonstrate do we understand it. And usually we you know, bring it out a little bit in a very genuine, caring, not manipulative way, right? Like you say, same side way. I've, I've been there. I understand it, et cetera. So that's, that's one way that knowing how the brain works will really help us. I'll give you another one. Um, and um, what the brain, what the, what happens if we have, let's say, a, a, how we explain our value or a website or anything that we do is a little bit complicated and or confusing to a prospect, the brain immediately assumes that doing business with, with us is going to be more difficult. It's going to be yep. complicated. Now, the brain doesn't like confusion. The brain likes clarity. Why? Because the purpose of the brain, especially the primitive brain, is to keep the organism alive, to do that by expending less energy, saving calories. So when we come at someone with a, a confusing process, a confusing uh, chain of, of, of sequences they have to go through on the voicemail, uh, anything that's a little bit confused, the brain starts to shut down. The brain doesn't like it. That's where we get aggravated. And so they automatically assume it's going to be complicated, confusing to work with us. And we lose people because of that. Um, and we don't even know it sometimes. So those are just two places where knowing how the brain works can help us on, on the, the strategic level and how we approach our market, as well as the sales level and how we message our, our value. Yeah, that's great. It's something, there's a concept that we teach in same side selling mm -hmm. called disarming. Mm -hmm. And I think it ties into this neuroscience, which is if we look and behave like a stereotypical salesperson, mm -hmm. then people have learned not to trust stereotypical salespeople. And if you come in and all you're focused on is your deal and how you can get the sale, alarm bells are going off inside their brain and they say, I can't trust this person. How do I get them out of my office? If you can disarm that early on and you can get the client to say, you know what, they're just looking to see if they have a fit and they can help us. Then you're likely to have a more honest interaction. You're more likely to have them be open to referrals and open mm -hmm. to honest dialogue. Mm -hmm. Yep. If you don't seem like the pushy salesperson. And, 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 and that's actually seated in the brain, believe it or not, because what happens uh, is anytime the brain encounters a situation or a person, it immediately dips into its memory, right? Yeah. And so if, if 
you don't like someone when they walk in the room, you know, you get, sometimes you get that feeling. I don't think I like that, but there's something about this. It's because it's tapping into some memory of somebody who looked like that, talked like that, walked like that. So same thing with what you're talking about, right? If, if, if you look like that, you know, pushy salesperson, uh, then that triggers all kinds of memory and, and then we start to shut down to it. Right. And it's hard to recover from that. Yeah. I, I got a buddy who's a neurosurgeon. He said right next to the hypo, hypothalamus, 88% of people have something called a BS detector. <laughs> there think, you go. I think, I think that's the, I think that's the other way to look at it. So, yes, sir. Um, so yes, one, of the, sir. one of the things you talk about is I know a lot of businesses, people get fixated on, their features and benefits. And you give kind of a process for how people can go from their features and benefits to a compelling value proposition. So can you talk a little bit about that, how, how people can move from just what's the difference between features and benefits versus what's a compelling value proposition? Yeah. So as you know, uh, most people are pretty bad when it comes to translating features into benefits. Uh, And and talking about how that benefit uh, might separate them, creating that start, starting to create that separation, that distinction. Uh, you know, I was doing a, uh, having a conversation with someone earlier today, a little coaching call about uh, how do we create differentiation in the marketplace? And we can't just state a feature and a benefit and that creates differentiation. I mean, it helps, but differentiation from what? right? Differentiation from how everyone else does it or how most other people do it. So when we talk about features and benefits, obviously we have to translate the feature into a benefit. And I'll give you one example, just of many. Sure. Uh, I'm working with a bank up in New England and uh, uh, they, they created a list of 19 what they called unique selling propositions, right? Things that about the bank that are unique it's their internal checklist that they will use and when they're talking with prospective customers. And uh, one of them was, we've been in business for 127 years. And who cares? Yeah, exactly. Who cares? That's a feature. It's, that's not yeah. a benefit, right? So sometimes we assume a feature is a benefit that we, we assume that our, our prospective client is going to make that leap. And most of the time they don't. And so then we're, we're wasting words, we're wasting energy. So what we want to do is we want to make that translation. Um, so when we're talking about, you know, features and benefits, we're saying, so what that means to you is, or how that would show up for you would be this. And then there's, a, there's another level to this whole feature benefit conversation, which is the impact of the benefit. My friend John Palumbo calls it the benefit of the benefit. And essentially, we talk about a feature of our company, product, service, whatever, great. We translate it into a benefit. Uh, so what that means to you is this would be easier. Da, da, da. And then we want to go to the next step and say, how does that resonate with you, right? Yep. What would that look like for you, for your company, for your division, for your department? We want them to start to uh, internalize the benefit for themselves, not what we said it would be, sure. but what it means to them. And that's where you start to become compelling because they start to own the benefit. They start to own the, the, the transformation that will take place. Sure. Uh, and and what I, what I got to believe also, Bill, is that yeah. you and I share, share the philosophy that effective selling is not about persuasion or coercion. It's about getting to the truth. 
if you share something that you think is highly beneficial and you say, how would that work for you? And the client says, I don't think we care about that. Right. You shouldn't be hanging your hat on the thing that they don't care about. Yeah. And, and hopefully, uh, you know, you can't always know going in what they care about, but there are ways to, to increase the chances that you know what they care about through the different types of research you do and how you target specific markets. And, and we can start to make some assumptions that are going to more likely be accurate, but I never assume. I always say something like, you know, Ian, a lot of our clients find this X, Y, Z to be a challenge. You know, does that show up as a challenge for you? And if so, you know, how does it play out? And people appreciate that we're not assuming Exactly. Right. That, that we're just having a conversation. Like you say, we're getting to the truth and we're having a conversation. Now, now Bill, a, a lot of people advocate the notion of creating personas of here, mm-hmm. here are my, here are my customer personas. Right. And in the book you say, well, you should narrow that to only three primary personas. Help, mm-hmm. help people understand why that's important. Yeah, because if you, if you have, well, first of all, what's a persona? Well, for me, a persona is, uh, some people say ideal client. I like to use the words right fit client or right fit customer. And what is a right fit client or customer? First of all, it's someone that, that fits in your wheelhouse, right? You were meant to serve. They were meant to be served by you. Uh, they appreciate you for all the reasons you want to be appreciated. Uh, if we want to get a little bit, uh, you know, further out on this, it, you know, it's, it's a customer client that kind of brings joy, you know, depending, especially if you're in professional services, Sure, uh, they're also more profitable um, because the fit is right. So what the, the book, one of the parts of the book is all about is about uh, precision and clarity. And so the more clear, obviously are on who we're trying to attract, who we're the perfect fit for, the more likely we're going to talk about our value in a way that's going to attract them. And the mistake I've seen a lot of people make is they, they tend when they talk about their value, be it in the marketing place or in a sales place, um, they tend to open the tent up a little bit to be a little more inclusive when in most cases they should probably actually be more exclusive and narrow the tent. And uh, so, so your the way you talk about your value will actually have more impact on those people then have no impact on, you know, the very, now the thing about the personas is, is, yeah, you can have more than three, but it become it becomes more difficult and more unwieldy to communicate when you have three and you're very clear on these three types of people or types of businesses. Uh, and you're clear on the demographics. First of all, that's important. And most people do a pretty good job of that. But they often don't take the next step and think about the psychographics, which with each persona, you're going to have a different set of challenges and fears and opportunities and aspirations. And when you have three, you can segment your marketing, your sales approach to these different ones. And you're going to resonate with that part of the brain that says, ah, this person gets me. Well, And you know what? I also think that what happens is, the customer who sees you identify, here are the three types of people we help, says, wow, they're narrowly focused. When you say, right. oh, we've narrowed down to these 27 personas <laughs> who we serve, you basically are just saying, well, we've narrowed it down to anybody with a pulse. And even people that have a faint pulse, 
we'll talk to those people too. I just think it, it gets to that, that perspective of narrowly focused or not. I had someone who, um, who sent an email introduction to me and said, Hey, I think Ian can really help you. And there were three people copied on the thread. Mm -hmm. And I said, look, I'm trying to better understand your business. See if I can help. My greatest expertise is in the B2B business to business space or right. high net worth individuals, meaning people who sell to high net worth individuals like wealth advisors, because right. the way those people make decisions is very similar. Right. And so that's what I focus on. If that's, if, if that's the space that you're in, I'd be happy to talk to you and see if I can help. If not, I may not be the best person, but I just want to be that, you know, upfront about that. Yep. So immediately using the principles you're talking about, I'm disarming the notion that I'm there to sell something and saying, hey, I'm looking out for my best fit. I'm defining that persona to a certain degree. Right. And the person writes back and says, and keep in mind, there's, there are three people in this distribution. The primary person they were introducing me to says, yeah, we're not really B2B. I really appreciate your candor and, and let me know. Um, mm -hmm. I still like to learn about what you do, but it's probably not a fit for what we're trying to solve right now. Yep. One of the other people said, hey, we're B2B, <laughs> and the problems that you identified are exactly the kind of things that we're solving. Um, do you think we could talk? <laughs> right. Well, that's it. And, and the whole point of uh, the, the part of, in the book about messaging and how we message our value is exactly what you, what you demonstrated there. We want to talk about what we do, who we serve, how we serve them, why we serve them, all of those important questions. Yep. Uh, it, it, so it'll track the right people and repel the wrong people. And, you know, repel is kind of a strong word, but the truth is we want to attract the people that we're best suited for uh, and we can serve the best. We, we don't want to attract the others. We don't want to waste their time. We don't want to waste our time. Um, and, and then we want them, we want them to take action, right? So we always yep. want to be thinking as we craft our messaging for website, for LinkedIn profile, for whatever it is, email to somebody right? We want to attract the right people, repel the wrong people, and then move them to take action. We always want to think in terms of what is the action that our message is trying to create? Some yep. people put messages out there without any thought for what's the next step. What, what do we want them to do? What are we asking them to do? And so therefore it goes nowhere. Sure. Yeah. And, and I know that, uh, that you've got a whole formula and, and people should pick up the book. And I know that when, when you speak at events, you talk about your VIPs formula mm -hmm. for, or, or I right. refer to as the VPS, I skipped the I, but, um, sure. but, the, but the idea is that, um, that you give a process and, and the formula, and then you can, you can correct me is, you know, my experience is in X. I work with these type of people who want to, whatever they're looking to accomplish. And then you give an example, for example, here's this group right. who was, right. who needed this help. Here's the people I worked with and here's what I helped them accomplish. Right. The, the, the four example is huge. Um, and it could be an example of someone you serve that's like them that creates a little bit of that social proof as well. It could be why you do it, which also brings what you do to life. But you know, we teach a formula for a, what we call, what I call, what a lot of people call a value positioning statement. I didn't invent the term. Um, but, you know, what do you do? Well, this is, this is you know, yep. what we do is who we do it for. But that often isn't enough. You have to have that little extra, for example. I was working with a, a client, in fact, a firm very similar to your size, also in manufacturing like you. Da -da, here was their issue. Here's what we did. And so it's just, it brings it to life. 
Uh, and, yep. and you know, and, and a lot of people listening know that, that when there's a little story and anecdote, the brain listens to stories differently. Sure. Um, and so that, that helps us make a connection in a little different part of the brain and draws people in. Again, it creates that empathy. These people get, sure. they, they work with people like me. So and, and, and one of the things, one of the things that you mentioned that I think is really insightful is that name dropping sometimes can be risky. Yes. Because, because you think to yourself, oh, well, you're talking to someone, let's say, runs a small regional bank, and you say, oh, and we did work for Bank of America. And in your brain, you're thinking they're really going to be impressed, but what could be going through their brain? Yeah, well, too big for me. Yeah. Uh, you know, not relevant to me. Um, I mean, I, I think everybody listening to this interview has experiences where someone comes and tries to impress with credentials of who they've worked with. And that, that isn't relevant. Could be totally different industry. Uh, could be, you know, I'm a small firm. I work with large firms, but I'm a small firm. So I have different issues, different budgets, yeah. uh, et cetera. So yeah, if, if you're going to name drop, do it in a way that's relevant to the person you're talking to. And don't be lazy. Do your homework. Uh, get a sense of, of who they are, where they are. And if you want to drop big names and you know you're talking to someone who's not a big name, Make sure, you know, you add to it, you yeah. know, sure, create a little credibility with that, but, but don't, don't push people away because there isn't relevance there. Yeah, it's funny. I've got a client of mine who works with credit unions, and thankfully, his, his credit union clients are among the largest and among the smallest. And so, if it, we, we've trained him so that if he's meeting with somebody who is one of the smaller ones, and they know he's worked with the biggest one because that gets a lot of press. Mm-hmm. He says, well, a lot of people know that we work with these guys who are the biggest. What most people don't know is about half our clients are about your size. <laughs> and right. then all of a sudden the other person says, oh, okay, it's all right. And when, he, and when he's meeting with the, the, the mid-size to larger firms, he says, you know, we're really fortunate in that we work with credit unions who are the smallest up to the largest and everywhere in between, where do you fit? And they say, we're pretty much in between. Great. Just like everyone else I deal with. Exactly. I mean, so if you don't know, give them that range and and let them identify. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's the way it works. It's uh, in so many salespeople, uh, you know, this, Ian, they're, they're lazy. They, they, I guess, or they don't know any better and they don't take the time to get to know who they're reaching out to. And, and, and so therefore their messaging is weaker. The, the prospect often feels almost offended. You see, one of the things we're facing in, in, in sales and marketing is not just the barrage of information, but it's the expectation that when people reach out to us, they should have a sense of who we are. Yeah. Right. That's an expectation. Why? Because it's so much easier to get that information now. Absolutely. It's it's like when I get, when I get a cold outreach on LinkedIn and it says, Oh, I'd love to talk to you about how I can help you grow your business. And I'm thinking to myself, if you had spent a nanosecond looking at my profile, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have reached out. And I remember I got a, I had a cold call and I, and I applaud these people for picking up the phone and calling, Hmm. but I had a cold call from a guy. He calls up and he says, well, so Mr. Altman, I'd love to talk to you about how we can help you grow your business. And I said, well, so what was it about my business when you visited my website that thought that gave you the thought that you might be able to help me? 
right. and you hear him typing on his keyboard. Exactly. Right? <laughs> and he, he brings it up and then he, he utters a little expletive. And I said, well, gee, you know, what's going on? He goes, oh, he's, there's, there's a sign. He says, you know, I've read Same Side Selling. I said, well, you may want to read it again. <laughs> So, really you know, but it's just, but it's kind of a funny thing that you, that you see that sort of stuff. And, and I will tell our listeners that if you pick up the book, um, one of the things that Bill does a masterful job at is there's a formula in here and I don't want you to cover it now, but you talk about the five parts of a perfect email message. And I know mm. people suck at relevance in email. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that you pick up the, you pick up a copy of radical relevance it's a great step-by-step process for how people can get there. So Bill, what's the best way for people to connect with you and learn more about what you're up to? Sure. Uh, a couple of quick things. Uh, we've got a, a report, first of all, that's, you know, complimentary to, to all of your listeners, Ian, and that's uh, uh, multiplyyourbestclients.com, multiplyyourbestclients.com. It's, it's free. It's uh, no gimmicks. Uh, the book to learn more about radical relevance, just go to radicalrelevancebook.com, radicalrelevancebook.com. And then our main website is referralcoach.com and uh, lots of resources there and, and always willing to, to help folks any way I possibly can. Yep. And people should know that when, when I've got clients who say, well, we're really just trying to focus on referrals. Bill is the guy who I'm often referring people to and uh, to make sure they're in good hands. So, Bill, thanks so much for sharing your wisdom. Love love the book, and, um, and I'm sure our audience will too. So thank you. Thank you, Ian. Bill shared some great information. Remember to check out the Same Side Selling Academy at samesidesellingacademy.com. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of the key information you can use and apply from today's episode. Remember, some people are not referable. They just haven't demonstrated their ability to deliver results yet, yet they want a referral. Now's not the time for that. The neuroscience of relevance tells us that six times per second, the brain asks, am I safe? And three times a second, it's asking, is there an opportunity? So remember to demonstrate empathy first so that they they see that you can understand them, and simplicity always wins. And then be sure to check out the show notes at ianaltman.com to get the link to your free value gap assessment from Bill. And always give examples of successes so your clients will understand what you really do for them and for others. Remember, this show gets its direction from you, the listener. If there's a topic you want me to cover or a guest I should have on the show, just drop me a note to ian at ianaltman.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, especially your customer. Bye now.